Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast ever. Talking about chapter 33, first kiss, how cute. Acoustic Eels said, nice, Philip, my man. After Ander mentioned, that's me, that Somerset was gay, or at least bi, according to Google, I started to see it in the writing. Ah, uh, yeah, he did seem to be gay back in the boarding school. But I didn't know he was bi, according to the Google. So maybe this first kiss is factual. You know, yesterday I was saying that maybe he fictionalized his first kiss to make it straight, and he had to straighten up his story a bit. But maybe not. Ow! This episode is brought to you by Really Hot Peppermint Tea. That just burnt my face. This courtship definitely reads like a mixture of real-life gay and straight relationships merged into one for a story. As a gay myself, I identify hard with the part where he's with the cute girl and he's thinking, why aren't I into this? I didn't know you were gay, Acoustic Eels. I also thought you were female. Or maybe you are. Why aren't I into this? Also, the part where he can't pull the trigger until the... He, until he passes the fifth or sixth glaringly obvious sign saying she's into you and he thinks, huh, maybe she is into me. I only ask, asked out my first real boyfriend after plural months of sustained flirting. That's probably more because I'm an introvert than because I'm gay, though. In fact, the gay meme version of this is quite the opposite. This guy's hot at the gym, looked at me last week, and today he asked me if I was still using the squat machine. Is he into me? He probably is. I've heard that gay guys can never tell when people are into them. At least that's what one of my friends told me, and he's gay, so maybe I'm generalizing hugely. But uh, I think it's the, I, it's definitely the same for me. I can never tell if a girl is into me, and apparently I miss all the signals, no matter how glaringly obvious they are. But I th- it's also partly that you don't want to be the guy that makes the move when you were wrong that awkward thing of like oh I misread this situation horribly so um that I am Norwegian said I accidentally read ahead earlier but I'm back where I should be now Philip has a few relatable moments in this chapter I've never chased an older woman but I've had my courage fail me in matters of women plenty I had a girl ask me straight out for sex once and my reaction was to awkwardly go, ha, ha, no. Though it was sort of a similar situation where she was kind of attractive, but not really. Um, (laughs) I love how when the book becomes all, like I was saying yesterday or the day before, it's like American Pie, the film, not the song. It's just a bunch of teenagers gossiping about sex and now the comments are just us gossiping about sex. So, okay. This is a weird turn for this podcast after 700 and something episodes. More than that. Wait, how many episodes have I done? I think I've done nearly a thousand episodes now. I have done 1,002. Oh, look at that. Two days ago, we passed the 1,000 episode mark. Congratulations, us. Anyway, after a thousand episodes with you people, now we're getting into our sex lives. I suppose at some point it was bound to happen. Let's continue reading. Chapter... 34. Next day, after dinner, they took their rugs and cushions to the fountain and their books, but they did not read. Miss Wilkinson made herself comfortable, and she opened the red sunshade, 
Philip was not at all shy now, but at first she would not let him kiss her. It was very wrong of me last night, she said. I couldn't sleep. I felt I had done so wrong. What nonsense, he cried. I'm sure you slept like a top. What do you think your uncle would say if he knew? There's no reason why he shouldn't. He leaned over and his heart went pitter-pat. Why do you want to kiss me? He knew he ought to reply, because I love you, but he could not bring himself to say it. Why do you think? he asked instead. She looked at him with smiling eyes and touched his face with the tips of her fingers. How smooth your face is, she murmured. I want shaving awfully, he said. It was astonishing how difficult he found it to make romantic speeches. He found that silence helped him much more than words. He could look inexpressible. He could... He could look inexpressible things. What? He could look inexpressible things. Miss Wilkinson sighed. Do you like me at all? Yes, awfully. When he tried to kiss her again, she did not resist. He pretended to be much more passionate than he really was, and he succeeded in playing a part which looked very well in his own eyes. I am beginning to be rather frightened of you, said Miss Wilkinson. You'll come out after supper, won't you? He begged. Not unless you promise to behave yourself. I'll promise anything. He was catching fire from the flame he was partly simulating, and at tea time he was obstreperously merry. Miss Wilkinson looked at him nervously. Obstreperously. No definition found. I have to look this one up. Noisily, unruly, or defiant. He was noisily or unruly, defiantly merry. Uh, you mustn't have those shining eyes, she said to him afterwards. What will your Aunt Louisa think? I don't care what she thinks. Miss Wilkinson gave a little laugh of pleasure. They had no sooner finished supper than he said to her, Are you going to keep me company while I smoke a cigarette? Why don't you let Miss Wilkinson rest, said Mrs. Carey. You must remember she's not as young as you. Oh, I'd like to go out, Mrs. Carey, she said rather acidly. After dinner... Walk a mile, after supper, rest a while, said the vicar. Your aunt is very nice, but she gets on my nerves sometimes, said Miss Wilkinson, as soon as they closed the side door behind them. Philip threw away the cigarette he had just lighted and flung his arms around her. She tried to push him away. You promised you'd be good, Philip. You didn't think I was going to keep a promise like that. Not so near the house, Philip, she said, supposing someone should come out suddenly. He led her to the kitchen garden where no one was likely to come, and this time Miss Wilkinson did not think of earwigs. He kissed her passionately. It was one of the things that puzzled him that he did not like her at all in the morning, and only moderately in the afternoon, but at night the touch of her hand thrilled him. He said things that he would never have thought himself capable of saying. He could certainly never have said them in the broad light of day. And he listened to himself with wonder and satisfaction. How beautifully you make love, she said. That was what he thought himself. Oh if, oh, if I could only say all the things that burn my heart, he murmured passionately. It was splendid. It was the most thrilling game he had ever played, and the wonderful thing was that he felt almost all he said. It was only that he exaggerated a little. He was tremendously interested in and excited in the effect he could see it had on her. It was obviously with an effort that at last she suggested going in. Oh, don't go yet, he cried. I must, she muttered. I'm frightened. He had a sudden intuition what was the right thing to do then. I can't go in yet. I shall stay here and think. 
My cheeks are burning. I want the night air. Good night. He held out his hand seriously, and she took it in silence. He thought she stifled a sob. Oh, it was magnificent. When, after a decent interval, during which he had been rather bored in the dark garden by himself, he went in, he found that Miss Wilkinson had already gone to bed. After that, things were different between them. The next day and the day after, Philip showed himself an eager lover. He was deliciously flattered to discover that Miss Wilkinson was in love with him. She told him so in English, and she told him so in French. She paid him compliments. No one had ever informed him before that his eyes were charming and that he had a sensual mouth. He had never bothered much about his personal appearance, but now, when occasion presented, he looked at himself in the glass with satisfaction. When he kissed her, it was wonderful to feel the passion that seemed to thrill her soul. He kissed her a good deal, for he found it easier to do that than to say the things he instinctively felt she expected of him. It still made him feel a fool to say he worshipped her. He wished there were someone who, to whom he could boast a little, and he was, would willingly have discussed minute points of his conduct. Sometimes she said things that were enigmatic, and he was puzzled. He wished Hayward had been there so that he could ask him what he thought she meant and what he had better do next. He could not make up his mind whether he ought to rush things or let them take their time. There were only three weeks more. I can't bear to think of that, she said. It breaks my heart, and that perhaps we shall never see one another again. If you cared for me at all, you wouldn't be so unkind to me, he whispered. Oh, why can't you be content to let it go as it is? Men are always the same. They're never satisfied. And when he pressed her, she said, But don't you see it's impossible? How can we hear? He proposed all sorts of schemes, but she would not have anything to do with them. I daren't take the risk. It would be too dreadful if your aunt found out. A day or two later, he had an idea which seemed brilliant. Look here, if you had a headache on Sunday evening and offered to stay home and look after the house, Aunt Louisa would go to church. Generally, Mrs. Carey remained in on Sunday evening in order to allow Mrs. Allow Mary Ann to go to church, but she would welcome the opportunity of attending Evensong. Philip had not found it necessary to impart to his relations the change in his views on Christianity which had occurred in Germany. They would not be expected to understand, and it seemed less trouble to go to church quietly but he went on, but he, but he only went in the morning. He regarded this as a graceful concession to the prejudices of society, and his refusal to go on a second time as an adequate assertion of three, of free thought. When he made the suggestion, Miss Wilkinson did not speak for a moment. Then she shook her head. "No, I won't," she said. But on Sunday at tea time, she surprised Philip. "I don't think I'll come to church this evening," she said suddenly. "I've really got a dreadful headache." Mrs. Carey, much concerned, insisted on giving her some drops, which she herself in the habit of using. Miss Wilkinson thanked her, and immediately after tea announced that she would go to her room and lie down. Are you sure there's nothing you'll want? asked Mrs. Carey anxiously. Quite sure, thank you. Because if there isn't, I think I'll go to church. I don't often have the chance to go in the evening. Oh, yes, do go. I shall be in, said Philip. If Miss Wilkinson wants anything, she can always call me. You'd better leave the drawing-room door open, Phillips, so that if Miss Wilkinson rings, you'll hear. Certainly, said Philip. So, after six o'clock, Philip was left alone in the house with Miss Wilkinson. He felt sick with apprehension. He wished with all his heart that he had not suggested the plan, but it was too late now. 
He must take the opportunity which he had made. What would Miss Wilkinson think of him if he did not? He went into the hall and listened. There was not a sound. He wondered if Miss Wilkinson really had a headache. Perhaps she had forgotten his suggestion. His heart beat painfully. He crept up the stairs as softly as he could, and he stopped with a start when they creaked. He stood outside Miss Wilkinson's room and listened. He put his hand on the knob of the door handle. He waited. It seemed to him that he waited for at least five minutes, trying to make up his mind, and his hand trembled. He would willingly have bolted, but he was afraid of the remorse which he knew would seize him. It was like getting on the highest diving board in a swimming bath. It looked nothing like it looked nothing from below, but when you got up there and stared down at the water, your heart sank, and the only thing that forced you to dive was the shame of coming down meekly by the steps you had climbed up. Philip screwed up his courage. He turned the handle softly and walked in. He seemed to himself to be trembling like a leaf. Miss Wilkinson was standing at the dressing table with her back to the door. She turned around quickly when she heard it open. Oh, it's you. What do you want? She had taken off her skirt and blouse and was standing in her petticoat. It was short and only came down to the top of her boots. The upper part of it was black of some shiny material and there was a red flounce. She wore a camisole of white calico with short arms. She looked grotesque. Philip's heart sank as he stared at her. She had never seemed so unattractive, but it was too late now. He closed the door behind him and locked it. Okay. Surprise twist ending. Uh, <laughs> what an interesting chapter. Have your say about it at the Hemingway List subreddit. Go to patreon.com slash the Hemingway List if you want to support the podcast. That would be excellent of you to do that. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.